You are listening to an Emmanuel Community Church podcast. For more sermons or information about the church, visit our website at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. If you were choosing a gift for a king, what would you sacrifice? What would you bring? Doesn't he deserve a gift of gold? Fit for a hero from stories of old? Gold to crown a royal king, like one of the gifts the Magi bring to crown a baby born into a hurting world of need where humanity sleeps peacefully in Bethlehem's hood where a stable stood. He was born, not into a life of wealth, but a life where he gave the gift of himself. Only the wise would seek him out. Only an angel army welcomed him with a shout, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on whom his favor rests. It was the best anthem for a king, and this wasn't a test. They brought gold to crown him again. Even though he had no beauty, no majesty to attract them, he was still the Messiah over them. None of us has a gift that will last. Our gold will tarnish, our riches will rust. And yet he gives us life everlasting to be exchanged for this life which is passing. This king is offering something greater than gold. The same riches that all men seek will make up the kingdom where he reigns over the meek and his promise will last, destroying all the pain from our past, declaring the greatest revelation over this new heavenly nation. Our king is coming soon. And all his promises are true when he proclaims, I am making all things new. Just a few months ago, as the uh, fall season was kind of uh, in the midst, uh, I was walking out the church door, door number three, uh, just after lunchtime, and a car pulls up, and you kind of get used to these kinds of situations, and I figured I knew what was coming, and uh, the car pulls right up under the overhang and said, sir, sir. And I walked over to them. There was a man and a woman in the front two seats and three children in the back seat. And they said, we're traveling from there to here. It's always, you know, that kind of, we're traveling from this state to that state. And we have come to the point that we just don't have any money and our children are so hungry. Would you help us? And I said, absolutely. That's what we do. And uh, I said, right next door, if you want, there is a gas station, they have hot dogs and sandwiches and snacks, and I'll get you anything you want. And, and the, right away, the gentleman says, no, we don't eat hot dogs. I said, no problem, no problem. I said, right down the road, there's fast food places. You pick the one you want, and I'll meet you there, and I'll buy you all whatever you want to eat. And he said, well, thank you, uh, but if you would just give us the cash, we could go do that ourselves. And I said, well, we have a policy here. We just don't give cash. 
our policy is we want to be very generous. And so we, we try to be as generous as we can be. But one thing we don't do is give cash. So we chatted a little bit about them and their family. And then again, he came back and said, we'd, maybe you would just give us the cash. And I said, no, I just want you to know, we just don't give cash. But I said, you pick the place, I'll buy you anything you want to eat. They looked at each other and said, thank you, and drove away. Now that tells you that probably they weren't as hungry as what they were saying they are. They were people who are like many people in our world, who are takers, and when they take, then they abuse and misuse what they have. We as Christians need to be generous. That's the whole point of the message. And in fact, if you fall asleep now for the rest of the sermon, you got the gist. Be generous. That's who we are as Christians because that's who our God is. And there's a lot of good reasons to be generous. In fact, the actor Danny Thomas, some of you might remember him, uh, one time was talking about his giving and he said this, the takers may eat better, but the givers sleep better. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. So we are going to be givers. And this season, we're taking the gifts of the Magi. Now, I just be honest with you, I'd much rather teach them in reverse order. The idea of the myrrh, then the frankincense, and then the gold. Gold right before Christmas, I think, would be better. But the problem is, the hymn goes in this order, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The Bible goes in that order. So we're taking them in that order, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we're learning today about giving of our finances. And as I warned you last week, or as I maybe tried to ease your mind last week, this is not about tithing at all. This is just about being generous people. So would you take your Bibles and your sermon notes and join me as we continue our study of these magi and their wonderful gifts, and today we look at the topic of gold or finances. I'm gonna share a few things with you. First of all, I wanna just clarify, a number of you came in today and told me that our brand new sign out front says today that it is 69 degrees on the sign. (laughs) And uh, I want you to know that we don't put up the actual temperature, but what we want it to be. So. And I have no clue why it says that. But anyway, normally it will be right. Secondly, I want you to know about our holiday services. Our holiday services, Christmas Eve, we have three different time slots, 2.30, 4, and 5.30, in all three of our locations here on campus and, of course, online as well. So you have your choice, and those are always big services, so come early. Christmas Day is a Sunday this year, and we thought it might be best to go ahead and do an online-only service, and you can... Choose the time that works for you. We're going to give you various times throughout the day when you can be a part of that service online, but we're just encouraging you to gather your family around your laptop or around your TV and worship with us at home on Christmas Day. Now, on New Year's weekend, we've decided to have regular services. So if you're going to a big party on Christmas Eve, then that's Saturday evening, and what you want to do is come to church first. Get your heart right before you go party, right? And so... uh, uh, so you can worship with us on Wednesday, uh, Saturday evening at 6 o'clock, 6 o'clock, or we have regular services Sunday morning. I had a person last night say, you might be the only one here at 9.30, and I said, well, then I'll just have a cup of coffee. I'll be fine. Uh, but we have regular services New Year's Day, Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11. And then lastly, this weekend, or this Wednesday is our last class for our uh, term of, of midweek classes 
Uh, we have new classes coming in January. You can find them on our web, website or on your church app, and we just encourage you to sign up for whatever fits for you. Okay, let's dig in. There are two lessons we're learning, and I'll just say them again quickly. Number one, the first Christmas was all about giving. Angels gave an announcement, and they gave their worship to Christ. The shepherds had nothing. They're so poor, but they did give such a valuable gift, their worship. The wise men came and brought treasures. That's what the Bible calls them, treasures of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But we want to always remember every Christmas season that Christmas is not about any of those gifts, but about the gift that God gave us through his son, Jesus Christ, for God so loved the world that he gave. And that's why we have Christmas. Secondly, our Christmas can be much more meaningful when we change the focus from receiving to giving. In fact, I told you, just with your family, with your friends, just practice this. Instead of saying, what do you want for Christmas this year? Say, what do you want to give for Christmas this year? And I'm not saying that that's the only question you can ask. You can balance them, but let's find balance because too many times Christmas is all about me, us, and not about what we can give. Okay, a few reminders from last week. If you weren't here, I'll bring you up to speed. If you were here, just to remind you, number one, God set the standard for giving and we are to be like him. The Bible is clear that we are to be like our heavenly father. Every good and perfect gift is from above. He is the giver, the original giver. Let's be like him. Number two, the Magi visited sometime after Jesus's birth. I realized last week after the services that this was new for some of you. They, many of you thought that the Magi would arrive that same Christmas Eve and they were all together in that stable. That would have been a kind of a crowded stable, wouldn't it? But the, the Magi showed up sometime later. How much later? We don't know, but somewhere a year, 18 months later. And the Bible is, by the way, clear about that, and so is church history. Church history set a day, January 5th, for Epiphany. When the, when the wise men showed. Now, that doesn't even mean the same year. It could have been a year later at Epiphany. So the early churches always had said it for us, and we've always believed that they came later. Now, they saw his star. There was a star that identified Christ in the east. They traveled west. They didn't follow the star until they got to Jerusalem. And these men, we believe, had been taught by Daniel, and you can read about that in the book of Daniel. Thirdly, the first gift that the Magi gave to Jesus was their worship. I don't know about you, but when I get some gift to give somebody and I've planned it and I've thought about it and I can't wait to give it, it's like I gotta give it right away. But these guys brought these amazing gifts but left them behind and dropped to their knees. Proskuneo in the Greek. They just dropped to their knees and worshiped a toddler. Boy, you have to be pretty sure he's the one, right? because there's a lot of toddlers, but they were sure he was the one. So that's the first gift they gave. And then, of course, as you know, they gave the famous gifts, the gifts of the song, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And that's why we're singing one verse each week, just to be reminded of those three gifts and what they mean. Gold, a gift for a king, and of course, a gift that represents our finances. Now, I'm gonna do this quickly inside your notes, left page, I'm gonna just kinda of walk down through that fairly quickly, because I wanna spend more time on the right page there. But let me just explain to you what, why these wise men, why these magi believed that Jesus Christ was the king. 
And the first is that he was definitely from the line of Abraham. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. The Bible indicates that out of Abraham will come the one who will be the ruler of the nations. Now, last week I told you, and I just want to clarify this. The Bible is clear. The Messiah is the king of the Jews. The king of the Jews is the Messiah. They are synonyms. And so Abraham was told that that Messiah would come from your line. Secondly, the scepter would remain in the line of Judah until the Messiah would take it and hold it on to it as his own. Once the Messiah gets the scepter, he'll never give it up. If you don't know what a scepter is, it's, it's in the Bible sometimes called a rod. It's, a, it's an instrument about this long that when a king holds it, he is declaring that he is the rightful king. And so this scepter is going to be passed down from king to king, from David to Solomon and so forth. And someday it'll end up in the hands of the Messiah. By the way, that's this word in Hebrew, Shiloh. It means he to whom it belongs. One word that means a whole phrase there. But when the one to whom it belongs arrives, he will never let go of the scepter. That's what the Magi believed about Jesus. Thirdly, the Messiah would be a star, or recognized by a star maybe, and a king out of Israel. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. Jacob is another word for Israel. And a scepter will rise out of Israel. So these wise men knew these things. They had, they had availability of the Old Testament through the prophet Daniel, and so they had figured these things out. Number four, the king, who is God's son, would rule the nations. There are many places I could show you that. I'll just show you Psalm 2, 7 and following, which is printed in your, in your notes. It says, you will break them with a rod. That's that same word I told you earlier. With the scepter of iron, you will dash them to pieces like property because I'm a pottery because I'll make the nations your possession. You will be their king. Now, there are many other things I could show you. Some people say there are 300 prophecies of the Christ in the Old Testament. I've never verified that, but I know there are well over 100. I have verified at least that many. And I'm just showing you a few others. This is not in your notes, but we are told that he would be born in Bethlehem. By the way, this is one thing the Magi didn't know, Remember? They go to Jerusalem and say, where is he, the born king of the Jews? So they didn't know this particular passage of scripture. However, I do believe they knew the rest of them, that his name would be Emmanuel, that he'd be born of a virgin, that there would be a massacre of the infants, that, that there would be a forerunner who would come before the Christ whose name would be John and so forth. So there are many other prophecies, but these guys believed that Jesus, this toddler at this point, was the true Messiah, the king of the Jews. And so if they believed it, why should I believe it? As we come to the holiday season, why should I believe that Jesus is the king? Number one, because the New Testament begins with the king's genealogy. In just a few weeks, there will be a lot of people who will say, well, it's the new year, January 1, and I'm going to make resolutions. And some of their resolutions will be, I need to read the Bible. I don't read it enough. I need to read the Bible. Many of them will say, I'm not much into the Old Testament, so I'm going to start with the New Testament. And they're going to turn to the very first page of the New Testament, and they're going to come to these words. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then for the next chapter, there's nothing but names. That's interesting to me. 
that you'd start a book that way. In fact, let me just give you some advice. If you ever write a book, don't start it with a genealogy. It, it doesn't draw people in, right? But you see, that's not why the Bible's there. The Bible's there to know who it is you worship. And so it begins by saying he is the king by genealogy. Secondly, the Magi worshiped Jesus as king. If they worshiped him, in fact, chapter two of that same book, Matthew, we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. He is the king of the Jews. If they believed it, these guys are smarter than me probably. So at least I ought to consider it. Number three, many people believed that Jesus was the king. Throughout his life, people who would come and just declare him to be the Messiah or the king. When he rides into Jerusalem, apparently hundreds of people, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They believe he's the king. Number four, Jesus' own followers believed that he was the true king. Even when they were threatened with their death later, they still believed he was the king. Peter did, John did, many, many others. This is Nathaniel. Nathaniel, when he spoke to Jesus one time, said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're, <laughs> you're the king of Israel. Now I get it. Number five, those surrounding his death proclaimed him king. These are people who didn't even really know him personally. Pontius Pilate put a sign above his head, this is the king of the Jews, and people said, take that down. And Pontius Pilate, who I believe had been changed, said, what I have written, I have written. In other words, that stands the man who died beside Jesus knew him for a few hours. And he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He believed he was a king. Number six, lastly, Jesus declared that he was a king. A lot of people don't realize how often he declared it, but he made it really clear one time with Pilate. When Pilate said, so you are a king, and Jesus says, you've said it, and in fact, this is the reason for which I came into the world. This is the reason I was born. That's why the Magi said, where is he who is born the king of the Jews? Now, on the other side of your notes, if you're following along, I have two major thoughts. One is this whole idea of giving of our riches to be generous people. And let me explain why, and then I want to talk about how. God has blessed certain people to be able to give of their riches to support kingdom work. Now, when I say certain people, we have certainly various levels of wealth in this room and in these rooms and at home where we're watching. But generally speaking, I don't know everyone's situation, but generally speaking, we in this part of our world, this part of our country, are far more blessed than most people in this world. And so many of us, have received wealth that's beyond what we probably ever dreamed. But remember that even though you may have the wealth to give, and this is an interesting thought for you, so hang on, God doesn't need your riches. As much as he wants you to be a giver so that you'll be like him. Why would I say God doesn't need riches? Because the Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He has everything. One time when... Jesus was asked if he was going to pay his taxes. He sent Simon Peter out to the Sea of Galilee, said, would you go catch a fish, fish for me? Here's the story. But so that we may not cause offense by not paying our taxes, go to the lake and throw out your line, take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Now, four drachmas is very hard in this day and age 
to compare. Uh, you can get all kinds of answers about this, but say, I'm going to say between $100 and $600 that coin was worth in that day. Find a Ford drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and for yours. So Jesus had to pay his taxes, hundreds of dollars, and he goes and catches a fish and pulls the coin out of his mouth. This makes me want to start fishing. <laughs> I'm not a fisherman, but boy, this, this kind of is attractive, isn't it? You see, the point is, Jesus never needed money. He, could, he, he had anything he ever wanted. If you can multiply fee, uh, fish and loaves and feed thousands of people, you don't need money. Why are we asked to give? Because God wants us to learn to be givers, to be generous people. God allowed others throughout Jesus' ministry to provide resources so that they could be blessed. Now, it's not for the purpose. I don't give money so I'm gonna be blessed. But when I give, I am blessed. And these gifts that many people gave throughout Christ's ministry would take care of expenses and needs. And that's what we do today. We give to take care of needs of all kinds of opportunities and ministries and charities. Uh, let me ask you a question. Uh, how much money did Mary and Joseph have in their checking account when Jesus was born? I don't know either, but I have a pretty good idea. You know how I know? Because the Bible says that when you give birth to a baby boy, bring a lamb and sacrifice it. And by the way, basically everybody did. Because you know what it's like. First child, it's a boy, and in those days that meant much more gladly, thankfully, than it does today. But in those days, it was a big deal for a boy. Today, it's a big deal for any first child, right? But it, when the boy was born, the family would get together and they'd put their monies together and they'd get this lamb and they'd take the lamb to the temple and it was a big celebration. It was a big party, like a baby shower kind of thing. Here's the text. But if she cannot afford a lamb, says Leviticus, that's the Old Testament, She's to bring two doves or even two young pigeons. Two young pigeons means if you can't afford two doves, you can even go catch two pigeons. That's okay. But you need two, one for the burnt offering and the other for the sin offering. And this way, the priest will make atonement for her and she will be clean. So after a woman gives birth to a child. Now, it's interesting for boys and girls is different. 40 days after the birth of a boy, 60 days after the birth of a girl. So when did Mary go and give her sacrifice, 40 days. So we know Jesus is 40 days old. We still know the Magi have not been there because then they could have afforded a lamb that had gold. But the Bible says, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves. Two young pigeons. You see, they couldn't even afford the basic sacrifice. These people were so poor. And so what did God do? God sent them incredible gifts through the Magi. The Magi brought them treasures of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, these are all treasures that are worth great amounts of money, first of all. But they're symbolic, as we've talked. Why do they need money? Because one verse after the Magi leave. Verse 12 says the Magi leave and head for home on a different route. Verse 13 says this. 
When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Could God have provided them the money, the resources? Could God have just moved them, translated them from one place to another? Absolutely. But God allows people to be involved in the work. And so now they have gold, frankincense, and myrrh that they'll take to Egypt because they won't have a job, they won't have the ability to live, but they'll need this for this time of ministry, for this time in the sense of hiding, which, by the way, lasts for multiple years. Later in Jesus' ministry, the Bible tells us who supported it. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others, these women were helping to support them out of their own means. So even though Jesus could have provided all the resources anybody ever wanted, he gave these women the opportunity to be part of his ministry by giving money. They were wealthy. They could do it, and it was a blessing to them, so he allowed them to do that. At the end of his life, you probably know this, Jesus died, he could have had the greatest pyramid, the greatest mausoleum, that the world has ever seen. It had been nothing for him. And yet, when he died, as evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and placed it in his own new tomb. So, God gave people the opportunity to participate in ministry. And that's why giving is taught in the scriptures. That's why, that's why we get to give so that we can be blessed, so that we can be generous and God can bless us uh, by blessing others. Now, let me give you five basic practical steps on giving. Number one, before giving financial resources, always seek God's wisdom in prayer for direction. There's a man in the New Testament, in fact, the first Gentile convert, so to speak. His name is Cornelius, Acts chapter 10. And when God looks down at Cornelius, he thinks of one thing. By the way, did you ever think about this? When God thinks of you, what comes to his mind? Now, first of all, he loves you. He paid for your sin, all that, right. But when he thinks of how you live, what comes to his mind? This is fascinating. Cornelius, God has heard your prayer, which that's a good reminder for all of us to pray, and he remembered your gifts to the poor. When I think about you, Cornelius, I think about how generous you are to, to the poor. Isn't that amazing? I mean, most of us would love to be able to put our names right there. So Cornelius was a man of prayer, but he was a man of giving to the poor and my guess is, if you put those two together, that he prayed about his giving. In fact, the Bible is clear about that. We pray before we do these kinds of things. Secondly, note that the holidays are a great time to give resources to support the various ministries that have helped you grow in your faith. And there's so many of them, so many opportunities. When you give of your resources, it's an act of worship. Now, I've had people complain here at the church sometimes because we don't pass offering plates. We haven't passed offering plates in years. And uh, we always just set them out back or people give on their own. Um, but some people have said to me, and I think this is legit, you know what, we got, when we passed offering plates, it was an act of my worship. It was part of the worship experience. And I, I understand that. 
but we still haven't done it. I, I think as long as we understand when we give, no matter where it is, no matter how it is, it's an act of worship, you're good. Now, some people will ask me fairly regularly, what if I give to a charity that's not a Christian charity? Is that an act of worship? Okay, get this in your head because this is very important. It's not who you give to, it's who does the giving. So if you're a Christian and you give to whomever, it is an act of worship. So if there's a charity that you just think does such a wonderful job of ministry, of caring for people, even though it's not Christian, give, that's great. Because you are giving as a believer and it's an act of worship. One time Jesus said, let me just break it down for you. He said, even a cup of cold water because you're a Christian. Even if you give somebody a cup of cold water because you're a believer, that, that counts, part of worship. Thirdly, giving resources can be a wonderful way at this season of the year to give to our families, to give financial gifts to others, to give to our families, friends. Now, let me just give you a real caution here. Don't give money or gift cards because you've got to December 24th and you didn't get anything yet. That's a bad reason to give. But if you choose to say, I'm gonna give financial gifts, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I think it could be a very special gift, but do it this way. Number one, make sure they're given wisely. Maybe you shouldn't give cash in certain situations or a certain kind of gift. And so just be cautious. Make sure your gifts are given wisely. Number two, make sure they come with specific direction. Your daughter, dad's, or your granddaughter has this new outfit and she wants shoes for her new outfit. Let me just give you a word of wisdom. Don't go buy the shoes. You probably don't know how to pick them out. But here's what you can do. You can say, here's a gift of money for those shoes you want so that you can pick them out. But let me take it one step further and I'll go with you. This will be a daddy-daughter time or a grandfather-granddaughter time and we'll go together and have maybe dinner together and then we'll go and pick out the shoes and you can make this gift something that will be a memory and not just handing somebody a gift card. I think that's a wiser way to handle it. Number four, when possible, give privately and discreetly. It's not always possible, I understand. But Jesus says that too many people give so they can be seen giving. So when you give, if you can, just don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It's a way of saying, don't do it for show. Number five, be open to receiving gifts from others as well. Here's the problem. Those of us who have resources and we do give gifts, we're so good at giving, but we're not so good at receiving. And someone comes to you who doesn't have much money and then they want to give to you. I was in a foreign country one time on a mission field and a family came and brought me a gift. And I said, no, 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 no. I mean, I knew that, that they couldn't afford to do that. No, no, no. And the missionary there pulled me aside and said, this is their blessing to be able to give to you. Accept it. And it was like it was an aha to me. So, be a good receiver as well. Some of us can give but can't receive, so be a good receiver. Okay, the wise, man the wise men brought some amazing gifts. Gold was one of them. It was a financial gift, and this gift was used for ministry 
and it got Jesus' family off on the right foot. They were able to keep him safe until they got back to Israel. I'm going to call our worship team up to join us on the platform, but here's the problem with the Christmas season. Uh, we often hear something, and maybe a song or a message, and we hurry off to the next thing and we don't process. So can I give you just two minutes? Here are the five thoughts I just shared with you practically. Or maybe there's something else in your notes that jumps out. Would you take two minutes just to think, how does this affect you and your life? If you count today and every day, including Christmas Day, from now till then is 21 days. They say that the minimum amount of time to begin a new habit is 21 days. So what if every day from now till Christmas, we each gave something, doesn't have to be expensive, but every day you intentionally look for something to give someone and said, I want to get into the habit of being a generous person. You can do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your generosity to us, which goes far beyond anything we could ever begin to explain. And I pray that you would help us to be generous toward others in the same way. And it's in the name of your Son who gave that we pray. Amen.